What's up, Liberty Lovers? Today's show is sponsored by our friends at Ammo.com. There's nothing more American than ordering a stockpile of ammunition and having delivered right to your doorstep. But you know what? It gets even better than that. Not only does Ammo.com deliver sweet, beautiful packages of ammunition right to your door, they're also run by libertarians. In fact, you can read an awesome article on their site right now that I've linked to on the show notes page called Locked Up, How the Modern Prison Industrial Complex Puts So Many Americans in Jail. And you know what? It gets even better than that. When you buy at ammo.com, 1% of every single sale, that's gross sale, not net, goes to a libertarian cause of your choosing that you get to pick at checkout. And the best part, the kicker, through the link ammo.com slash Lions of Liberty, you get $20 off your order of 200 or more. So support this show, help to spread the ideas of liberty, and buy some ammo to defend your personal liberty. Bam. What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Liberty. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another episode of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is the show where every single week I focus on exposing injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. And by so doing and telling these stories, I also highlight positive aspects of this. These stories are so incredible. The tragedy, the injustice that these people suffer, and the fact that they're able to pull themselves up and find success, success after prison, success during their stay in prison, and most importantly, maintaining a positive attitude through this ordeal, which is just incredible. And I have one of those stories for you today. Before we get to that, I want to remind you guys that this show is one of three shows on the Lions of Liberty podcast network, the OG, the original variety show. We got some copycats out there. There's some other libertarian podcasts that have a variety type uh, feed, a couple different shows on their feed, but we are the original. Never forget that. And you can subscribe to the original podcast, the original libertarian podcast. We're not the original podcast. Uh, but go in on Apple Podcast or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, hitting that subscribe button. And when you do that, you're going to get our Monday show with Mark Clare, where Mark interviews leaders in the Liberty Movement. He hosts roundtable discussions. You're going to get our Wednesday show, Electric Liberty Land, with Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. And of course, you get today's show, Felony Friday. So be sure to do that. Go subscribe. Leave us a five-star uh, rating, give us a nice little review. Really helps us out. It really helps us to spread the message of liberty. Let's uh, not hesitate anymore. Let's get right to today's show. The show notes are at lionsofliberty.com slash FF159 because it's episode 159. Let's get rolling right into the show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Terry Anderson. Uh, Terry was sentenced to 50 years in prison, uh, 30 years for conspiracy to uh, manufacture and distribute, and 20 years for laundering money. She ended up serving 
23 of that sentence, and uh, her sentence was commuted last year. She got out July 30th, 2018, and she's here today to share her story. Terry, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, a lot of times with my guests, when they're sharing their story like this, talking about um, really their their past in prison and um, really everything they've had to overcome to get to where uh, you are today, which is which is a free woman, which is uh, which is yeah. a thing. Um, before we get into all the details of uh, the arrest, the conviction, and your time in prison, and then getting out finally, um, let's. I'd like to start at the beginning just to get an idea of where you grew up, your upbringing, things like that. So if you could just kind of give us a, an intro to, you know, before you spent any time in prison, what, what was your life like? Where did you grow up? And, and what was that period of time like for you? I grew up in Maybank, Texas. That's where I graduated. And um, my upbringing, I uh, lived in a Christian set home. Uh, good family with mother and father. They've been married now for 60, well, they was married now for 62 years, but my dad just passed away last year right before I got to get out. Sorry to hear that. Um, I have two older sisters that are amazing, and I have twin daughters that are 36. And um, it just, I just lived in a little country town, and uh, I was trying to survive by myself. Uh, I let my pride down, and so I just took the wrong road and met a lot of the wrong people. And uh, I don't know, just things just things happened. But uh, I know I got sentenced in 96. So that was uh, the time when the war on drugs, they had war on drugs. At that time, uh, they had conspiracy and all that. And so I was the first woman in the history of East Texas that they could recall. I have the newspaper clippings of it. Um, that got such a harsh sentence out of the Eastern District of Texas. And I was just a young lady and... uh and was I doing wrong? Absolutely, I did wrong. But was I all that? I was. I was not all that. I was just the youngest one of the of the whole conspiracy. How, and how old were you I, at that time? Thirty-two. And so, so leading up to that, at, at what age did you? You know, did you? As you just referenced, you started to get some of the wrong friends and. And uh, make some poor decisions. At what age did that start? Probably about twenty. I don't know, twenty-six, like that. And did it start out? I mean, what, what type of what type of, oh. what type of drugs did you start out with? Did you start out? selling immediately were you were you using to start with or what, what was the, the path there um I, w- I did use a little bit at first but i guess the main thing i was trying to do is just survive and take care of my daughters 
and uh and then you know the money comes around and it just it just got out of hand i guess i mean i uh, I, I mean i'm not saying i didn't sell drugs yes i did mm-hmm. uh was I all that absolutely not they they made, made me kingpin I wouldn't snitch on my case when they uh, offered me 12 years uh, if I would snitch on, on some people. And it's not that I, uh, that I couldn't tell them the truth. That's not what the government wanted. You know, if uh, I say I sold one ounce, they wanted you to say you sold a pound or five pounds to hit a guideline, a higher guideline for them, as most of them did on me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it it'd been okay if they if I could have just told the truth, I was okay with that. But that's just not how the government runs, and they want you to hit a higher guideline where they'll hit a guy, you know, get more time out of a person. Anyways, it's just it's a horrible thing, and the conspiracy is a really horrible thing because being in busted with drugs, actually, no, I was, I was never on this case busted with drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was. Conspirator of uh, phone calls or uh, um, like the uh, beeper number or whatever. But so did what, they ever come in and get drugs from me? No. So what type of evidence did they use? Or did your trial go to courts or did you end up taking a plea? Well, I had a court-appointed attorney that was a prosecutor prior to my case. He uh come over to the next county and was an attorney for that one year, the year that he sentenced I got sentenced, he quit, went back to be a prosecutor at the other county where he come from. Wow. So uh it was it was just a really scary, messed up, dark hole I felt like I was in, you know. I just felt alone <laughs> and scared. And, you know, they kept on saying, Well you're gonna get life and Kept on throwing uh, live hands and enhancements on me and everything. And uh, like I said, the first time they asked me for 12 years, plead out to 12 years, I told them no. I wanted to take the trial. Then he told me 17 years. He came back with, well, you're not getting any lighter on you 17 years. If you'll, if you'll talk, and they're running out of time with you. Anyways, and he trying to more or less push me into it because I wanted to go to trial. And, you know, and he was telling my mother and, yeah, you know, she she's gonna die in prison. If she goes uh to trial, then she has an enhancement, a life enhancement on her, and she'll go, you know, to prison for life without without parole. And that wasn't so. If I wouldn't have pled out, I could have fought my case back, you know. And um, and he had them so scared, you know. Okay, and then the last thing when they came up, you know, they said, "Well, it's thirty to life. I mean, you've got no choice. And what would it be?" And so I ended up pleading out to 30 years because I didn't have no, you know, I didn't have no attorney that stand behind me that wanted to push on my case. He was just like, let going to be like this or like this. You're going to do this or like this. And he was just more or less working for the government himself, you know? So he, he knew, he knew how the system worked from, from the, the get-go side. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's crazy. And then that, he ended up with the DW, even- DWI. He ended up I getting checked, DWI. No, he did. A uh, few years after I got uh, after I got locked up, um, 
I got my sister to try to contact him and see where he's at. And uh, and she said, well, he's locked up on a DUI, on DUIs. I said, are you serious? She said, yeah. So he'd been locked up uh, for for DUIs. And so I, anyways, I never got to talk to him again or whatever. But wow. he went back to the other county when was a prosecutor. So I just want to ask you about your mindset at the, at that point in time, if you can try to remember back, you get sentenced to, or you're, you're playing out to, to 30 years at that point in time. Did you think you would serve that full sentence? What, what, what was your expectation? To be honestly, I thought maybe I might do 12 years at the most. I really didn't know nothing about the feds, you know, how their system worked. I, I mean, I had no clue. Mm-hmm. And I mean, after it got 12, 15 years, I thought, you know, Terry Lynn, you ain't going nowhere. You know, it's, it's just, it's, you're not going nowhere. You're just supposed to do this time here. And so then they um, they did this two minus thing. But since they my guideline hit so high and because the, they put the kingpin on me. And because it was the uh, Anderson organization, that's what they called the case. And uh so, can, so can, can you share a little bit about, I, I know I've had on guests previously who had the same kingpin designation. I know it has to, like, it has to do with certain, they tie certain amounts being sold to you. There's got to be, like, different qualifications, right? Well, way that he told me, he said, I said, you know I'm not all that. And he said, well, this is what the deal is, Anderson. You knew the big guys with the drugs. and." you knew the big guys with the money and you made that little circle go around. So really you're the middle person, but since you make that circle go around, they call you the kingpin. That's how I got the kingpin. That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, and they, uh, they did involve two of my sisters. They both just done nine months in Brian in 96. Um, they were, camp. they were involved in the same, same case. Yeah, or they they were trying to put them, put them. You know, they they kept on pressuring me. You know, with your family and this and that, and my uh, husband, which I didn't know back then at the time, um, he was the one, the first secret informant. He's the one that started the case off, and. And then I married him. I didn't know he was whenever I married him. Oh, he started the case off before you you got married. Yeah. Wow. The year the year before, because they, they took it back three years before I got uh, sentenced, and he was the first informant. There was thirteen of them, and he was number one. He got twelve years, and I got fifteen, I and mean, I got thirty. Wow. Yeah. And what was he, was he more involved in? I'm not sure what you're allowed to talk about or, or but it was, no, it's fine. was he more of a, uh, more involved in, in the dealing than, than you or what, what's. It was about the same for real. He just made me out real elaborate mate. Like I was some big thing and I wasn't. And I just think he had just kind of got himself in a in trouble or something somewhere down the line or something. Or I don't feel like he would have uh, 
started a case on me like that, you know. I don't know. It, it was just, it was bad. I've known him since I was 12 years old. I went to school with him right here in Maybank. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he was the first informant. And I uh, just went up in there. And what what uh, type of drugs did this center around? Meth. Just to go back to the sentence for a minute, 30 years for conspiracy and then 20 years for, for laundering money. Was that also part of the plea? It was together. So they just said 30 years all together. They, they put it all together. Gotcha. Okay. And said 30 years or 360 months. That's what I got. When they said 360 months, I really, I couldn't even calculate that fast. I was like, what? And he said, yeah, 360 months. I don't know why they don't, they don't just say 30 years. It almost makes it sound like, I don't know, when you can, when you think of it in months, 360 months, it almost, it doesn't sound as bad as 30 years. It should, know. you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why they do that. It, it throws you off. You're like, oh, wait a minute. Is that, how long is that? Yeah. And my family, there was my mom and, and my dad and the girls, they was, they was in the courtroom whenever I got sentenced. And, you know, she just kind of started mumbling around with her fingers and she's going like no 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 my my daughter she's a sweet thing y'all don't understand she'll help and do anything for anybody please and, she, and then i said dad i turned around i said please take her out please take her out here because you know i apologize to the courts i apologize to my family and everything they're in court you know and i told them you know and i and i was sorry for wasting all their time and for putting my family through through what i put them through because i mean that's just, and they've been they've been right by my side. They've raised my twin daughters. They've take, taken care of me, you know, the whole time I've been in prison. And uh, I mean, I couldn't ask for a better loving family. Mm-hmm. But whenever it's, it crushed them, it crushed them. And then my um, uh, one of the twins, Brandy, she got she got locked up uh, two weeks after I got my clemency. And she got an indictment on a federal indictment. And she got eight years. And she was the very last person on this. They had a case on some boy. And she was the very last person that they just, I guess, snagged in that case. Anyway, she ended up getting eight years on conspiracy of drugs. (laughs) So she's in Carswell Federal Medical Center right now, camp. Man, that stinks. Um, so, how, how old were yeah. your your twin girls when you when you went in? Twelve. You ended up doing twenty three years. You know, you you thought maybe you said maybe you thought fifteen. So, I never dreamed. I never for real never dreamed ten twelve years. And then when I hit that fifteen mark, I you know I was like, okay, Terry, and you start thinking about this <laughs> for a completely nonviolent crime you know nobody was nobody was harmed and uh 30 years locked up it's really it's really insanity is what it is or 23 years served it's insanity 30 years sentence so what did you or what do you attribute to while you were in prison um you know what what got you through that time just taking as many classes as i could take uh, I worked twenty four seven. If I mean anywhere, anything I, I could do, I just did it. And it sure wasn't for the money because I didn't pay you none. Mm-hmm. 
but as just for a peace of mind and kept me busy uh i had to just steadily just stay busy the whole time i mean i've took change program you know i worked in unicor i've just uh i just stayed busy just as much as i could because you know you don't you can't stop and think is that is that something that that you just picked up that you that you knew personally that you needed to do that on your own to, to keep your sanity or were there other other women in prison who you know kind of kind of gave you advice or anything like that well yeah there i mean there were some you know you could kind of follow that follow their lead that um that did just that you know but just me personally that's just i guess i just really took about on myself because if you just stay in there and and just think it drive me crazy mm-hmm. absolutely drive me crazy and i knew i had to keep my mind going you know i had to keep my body going my mind going or i probably went crazy in there because uh <coughs> it's you know they call oh it's club fed absolutely not there's no such thing in this lifetime anymore that's club fed because it's not i do we do the same same kind of time as uh people goes murders that people that molest their children uh the same kind of jobs get paid the same kind of amount i mean there's nothing different from my crime and their crime besides what it says on paper the way they treat you or, or anything, the time that you do. And half of them gets out before you do anyway. So th- these drug charges is just outrageous. I mean, you know, you can go, I'm not saying do it, for God's sake, no. But, you know, take down a whole family and get out in 10, 15, 20 years and you can sell drugs and sit there for life. Yeah. And I, I don't think the First Step Act even uh, did anything for conspiracy, for conspiracy sentences. I, I don't believe. So there's, there's, I mean, obviously th- that was a nice first step, exactly what it was. But there's a there's a lot more reform that needs to be done, obviously. Oh, absolutely. And they and they need more reform on. I know they have this RDAP class or whatever for, you know, but. They need more classes in, in these federal prisons that um, even if it's psychology classes or or something to help a person just deal with their past and just mm-hmm. to deal with uh, their future, you know, what they're they're headed for. I mean, whenever I got out, I mean. It was crazy. I looked at the cell phones and I was like, no way. Because, you know, we had a big old bag phone right before I got locked up. <laughs> it wasn't no little thing like this. And, I mean, the world is just is so fast now. And I don't, it's just everything has changed so much. I'm just saying from then, whenever I come out, I was like scared to death. If it wasn't for my family support that I had, you know, so good, I don't understand how some of these women or men make it mentally because I was like so overwhelmed and you know they don't uh they don't prepare us for that they don't prepare prepare you to get out and when you get out and what you're you know or maybe there's no 
preparation for it. I don't know. But I just know that I was totally overwhelmed. The world had changed so much and it's so fast. And it's just a lot to grasp, you know? So so it's been it's been what six seven months since you've or yeah six or seven months since you've been out right yeah actually um, Friday I will um, be on my home confinement I'll be uh, six months so I had to stay in the halfway house for one month and I got to come home they give me home confinement for the next five months and I can just you know go to work and come home or whatever. But yeah, it's been it'll be six months. Uh, I guess on the eighteenth. So you're on home confinement now. Are are you able to to work? Were you, were you able to get a driver's license? Yes. Whenever uh, I was at the halfway house, and you know that's the requirements. That's why halfway houses are crazy too, because um, you have to uh, get get your Texas ID. You got to get your driver's license. You got to get a job you got to get if you want to come home you got to have a job a car and a place to live and they have to come and check you all out and you know your family where you're staying and uh it it's a big transformation there but i mean i've done it i don't say a lot of a lot of them and a lot of them don't do it in those halfway houses they uh to me, they set you up for failure, and even even like on this home confinement, um, whenever when I get up in the morning before I go to work, I I call the halfway house. When I get to work, I call the halfway house. When I leave work, I call the halfway house, and when I get home, I call the halfway house. And I have within thirty minutes because I live like thirty minutes from my job to get back home. And then you got to call every night at nine o'clock, and then they call you back every night about ten thirty. And then a man comes to your job every Monday or Tuesday, and he comes by your house between 7 and 10 o'clock uh, Monday or Tuesday, one night a week. And it's just all the calling, calling, calling. I mean, I've been here and just absolutely just forgot to call. Cause I, and I said, oh, my gosh, and I'll call you, and I'm, all, I'm just stressed out. And she said, it's okay, Anderson, it's okay. So, you know. I think I'm one of the best ones on their little caseload because I'm just like on it. <laughs> I'm so scared to go back. I don't want to mess up, but I know a lot of people can mess up and it's real easy to. And uh, they don't give you very, very much chance and they don't help you. I don't know. It's just, it's hard. They expect so much out of you, but they don't help you get to where you're, you know, where you need to be. Well, it's, uh, I mean, you have to, you have to ask, did did they really want you to be successful? And if you look at all the evidence, like as you were talking about before, you look at, uh, the education or any, are you getting any skills while you're in prison? Um, very little, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people who spend time in prison, Very little. you know, some have access to more than others, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, you look at society today, 2018, I mean, you can go online and watch classes for free at an Ivy league school. And it's just crazy to think it's not a money. It's not a money thing because they could easily set up educational programs, you know, over the internet um, in prisons across the United States. It it would not be hard to do at all. It's just, they either don't want to, 
or there's a cons- conspiracy and they want people to continue to be cycled through the system. I, I, I don't know. It's either, it's either they don't care or it's truly evil. It's one of the two because I, I, there's no reason that they're not doing a better job. If, yeah, if, if it's very evil. Really trying to reform. And they're, I mean, like I said, I took classes and everything, but so many of the same classes over and over and over over the years that I, that, that I was down. But just because they don't offer, they don't offer hardly nothing at all. I mean, I was there, well, 23 years, and there was just not a whole lot reform or or um, educational college, you know, and all this stuff. They don't hardly offer you anything, and and if they did, then they then they want to charge you for your books and for this and that, and they, and these people that want it or needs it, they can't afford it, you know. So of course, you know, if whenever I come out. I just so happened I had like a friend of the family uh, that a lady that had me a job. She said, Terry Lynn, don't you worry. You'll have a job whenever you come out. And, uh, you know, after she knew I got the clemency and I was going to halfway house and everything. And she said, I know, I know how it is. I have a few people who work, works for me that's on probation or, or whatever. And she said, you know, I'm here to give you a second chance. She's such a beautiful person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, a lot of people don't have that. And a lot of people go back and they go back because they don't have nothing or they don't have no family or, you know, that until so they get back out there and try to struggle again. And, you know, they just, they failed, but the people know they're going to fail. So, I mean, it's just like a revolving door, but a lot of times it's not the people's fault, you know, it's not our fault. That, that it's like that it's just the government is so corrupt and you know they don't help us out you know they say oh they want you to accomplish they want you to do big things well you can say that all day long but show it you know help us get education help us you know do something with our life and not not come back through these doors because i know i i don't ever want to go back to those doors again I believe that. So we we kind of skipped over your uh, your clemency story. I, I want to touch on that be, before we uh, before I let you go here. So can you take us through through ha- how that happened? Um, you know, were were you applying for clemency for a while? Was it something you expected to get? Did you even see it coming? Um, just just take us through that, and and obviously the emotions you felt when it did happen. Well, I was like I said, my my dad he he was being sick with cancer. And I missed that two point thing. Everybody, was, you know, a lot of them was going home on two points, and I missed it because I had that extra point. So I didn't get to go home on yet. So uh, I have a friend, Beth Cronin, that I knew from prison, and uh, and she told me back then we both had twenty eight years. Well, she got eight years, and she got her time off when they did that two points. And she said, "Sister, I won't ever leave you in there." I'll fight with everything that I got. So from there, the next thing I knew, she uh, got up with Amy and with Malik on the Can Do Foundation. So, I mean, I had all my family. I had her. I had them. Everybody was just supporting me. I mean, people everywhere, insurance companies, uh, we had friends, family, or whoever it worked for, they was going through each floor's 
I was getting to make that phone call and get, you know, get extra uh, support on there. Just And then uh, a lady named Ronnie Acquire, she helped out tremendously, too. Uh, and so they all was just fighting, fighting, fighting. And it was, I got clemency on the 19th, January the 19th, 2017. And I was... Right there, I mean, it, it was, it was so crazy. My, my whole body was feeling. I'm like, oh gosh, I got one day left, and there's no more clemency for this year. Am I going to make it? I just wanted to get home to my dad. You know, I don't want to see my dad for before he died. And uh, that that nineteenth, um, they called over the loudspeaker. I uh, said, you know, Terry Lynn Anderson, you need to go to your unit team. And we knew it was for them to tell us we did, we got it or we didn't. Because there was me and a couple other girls that had been waiting. And my heart dropped. <laughs> and um, I, I ran up there and, and I went to her office and she kept on fidgeting around. I said, what is it? Just tell me. And she said, I thought, oh, Lord, she's going to tell me no. Cause it was about the last day and she said uh no she said um uh just hang on a minute so she really wasn't allowed to, to tell me that i got the clemency they were supposed to tell me you know on the phone the my attorney because they hire you an attorney the clemency uh when you go through there well they'll get you an attorney so they they got me an attorney and so uh i waited on that phone call and she, a uh, lady called and she said, I just want to let you know that you got the clemency. I said, oh, my God. Praise God. Praise God. I said, I couldn't believe it. My whole body was, I was just shaking. It was just, I just, all I said, I just need you to phone. I want to go call my, my family. I'm going to call my family. Right. And so she said, well, okay. She says, calm down, look, calm down. And, and I'm going to let you uh, make this phone call. Anyways, so she did. And then my dad had already heard it on the news. It was on the CNN or something. And uh, he had told my my mother, he said, babe, look at here, look at here. Her baby's, baby's on, the, um, on the TV. Her name's on the TV. Her, her name's the very first one. It was Terry Anderson, of course, with A. And uh, she jumped up. So they knew it before I did. So when I called, they already knew it. And, my, and they was just hollering, screaming, and crying over the phone. It was just, it was very, 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 I could still cry right now. <laughs> it was very, very, very emotional. Um, and from there, I mean, everything started going fast. Uh, I had to take RDAP class. And, uh, but before that, that, that next day, anyways, I got all the papers and I signed with the clemency and everything from the president and everything. And then, uh, then they shipped me probably like, a month later, they shipped me to West Virginia. I'm from Texas. Hmm. And they shipped me to West Virginia to do a, that drug program. And I was, they got me there two weeks too late to join that class. So I had to do another year down there. I've done 15 months altogether, but a year more uh, for the class and everything. And I got the clemency and, um, come home (laughs) 
That's can't amazing. believe it, but it was, it was amazing. Then, um, as I was in West Virginia and, and during my the drug program, well, they um, called me and and I had a phone call from my family and said my dad passed away. So I didn't get to I didn't get to see my pops. That's for sure, but. He knew that I was going to be home with my mother. And so I know that was a big relief. Mm-hmm. And like I said, he'd been fighting cancer that like over a year. He was trying so hard to hang on. But maybe God didn't want me to seem, you know, like that. Because, you know, he was my big, strong daddy. I mean, you know, and maybe maybe God didn't want me to see him at that point that week. Or in that fragile and that, uh, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. But at least I know in his heart that he knew I was coming home. Right. And that's all he, you know, he's always wanted his, his baby girl to come home. So he was an idea. Well, Terry, you've, you've been through so much. And, you know, I, I, I hear in your voice, you, you don't, you, it doesn't sound like you're, you know, carrying some, some grudge with you. You sound like a happy person. It, what what do you attribute that to? What you know? Why you know? A lot of people, and I think you would have the right to to be really, really bitter about this whole how everything's unfolded. Spending twenty three years in prison for a nonviolent crime. Um, what? How are you able to keep a positive attitude? Well, um, blessed I'm home, and in good health, and I have my family. And um, just I love God. I love life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there's a a lot of women, or a lot of women and men that are still locked up and didn't even get the chance I got at least to come home. You know, and uh, I'm just so thankful. I mean, even though that I did stay that that long, I'm just so thankful. You know, I'm home now. I mean, I just, I just feel like I'm blessed and I can't run out here and be mad, you know, life's good now. I mean, I'm I'm upset that I've missed so much of my family, my kids' lives, of course, and I won't ever get that back, mm-hmm. <laughs> ever, you know, and I've missed so much and, but I've, I can't absorb enough of them. I feel like a sponge around them all the time. I can't absorb enough of them. This has been so long. I just can't get enough of them. <laughs> you know, that might not sound right, but I just can't get enough of them. I mean, I'm not I'm just saying I, sometimes, Mom or my, <laughs> let, let, leave me alone for a minute, but I just can't get enough of them. I, I was watching their smiles. I watched what they say, what they talk about, what they've done, what, where they've been. And, you know, there's so much I've missed. I mean, it was 12 years old, but my kids were, and, you know, now they're grown women, they're driving, they got jobs, and uh, I'm not a grandma yet, but I like to be one. <laughs> <laughs> I know I could be a good mother, be a good grandma. Yeah. But, no, life's good. That's what I hear from grandparents, that, uh, you know, it's great being a parent, but being a grandparent's the best. That's what... Well, Terry, you know, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on the show and 
sharing your story, talking about this, you know, this is really this injustice that you, that you suffered through. And I just want to give you an opportunity. If you want to say some parting words to maybe anyone, anyone out there who's listening, who's maybe has a family member or a friend or somebody going through something similar, maybe who's, who's locked up. Just never give up on your family and your family. Please never give up on them. There, there's light out there, and as dark as it gets, believe me, I've been there. But there's light at the end of the tunnel, and there's hope and there's faith, and that's what we have to keep when we're inside. I know that. I just want to tell everybody I love them. Hang in there. Thank Malik and Amy and Best Cronan and all of them for being so supportive of my family for helping me get to where I'm at today. Well, amen to that. And uh, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on the show, Terry. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to tell you guys about a new podcast, friend of the show, friend of Lions of Liberty, Rachel Kennerly. Uh, she has a, a new podcast that focuses on cannabis. She brings on, much like Felony Friday, where I bring on people to share their story about their experience in the criminal justice system, Rachel brings on people to share their stories about how they've used cannabis to heal themselves, how they've used medicinal cannabis to find healing. The show is called Cannabis Heals Me. And on the show so far, um, she's interviewed a couple who has a child with epilepsy, using the cannabis to, to treat the epilepsy, someone with a traumatic brain injury, a lupus survivor, and a woman who has a medical condition referred to as suicide disease. Uh, they publish one episode per week. You can find the episodes wherever you find podcasts, or you can check out the website at CannabisHealsMe.com. All right, let's get back to today's show. Thank you guys for tuning in for another episode of Felony Friday with another great guest, Terry Anderson. You know, I talked about at the end of the, the interview with Terry, I just can't get over it. You know, no matter how many of these interviews that I do, every it's, it's I think it's 100% consistency. And I'll be going back through these interviews uh, as I prep them up and get them ready to roll them out when we have our second Felony Friday feed. There's going to be an archive show on Tuesday where a lot of the older interviews are refreshed and repurposed and uh, published again. So I'm looking forward to, to going through that exercise. But as I do that, I'm sure I'm going to notice, like Terry Anderson, like so many of the past guests on this show, a positive attitude. These individuals have suffered so much. You know, maybe they did make a mistake. Maybe they put themselves in a bad situation. But 23 years, 23 years in prison for conspiracy to sell drugs, for money laundering, 23 years without being taught really any skills, without being prepared to come into the outside world and contribute and add value and really being hung out to dry. And then at the point in time when you're in the halfway house, when you're on home arrest, everything is set up to make you fail, to suck you back into the system. And Terry Anderson Terry Anderson did not let that occur, and she pushed through. And she's keeping a positive attitude, which I think is just incredible after all she's been through. So I was really happy that Terry shared her story with uh, the Felony Friday audience, with you guys. You know, I think we can take a lot from a story like this. I think people, obviously, if you have a loved one, if you have a, a family member or a friend who is in prison, this kind of encourages and reminds us we need to support those people. 
We need to lift them up. We need to remind them that there is hope on the other side, on the other end. Once they do get their freedom back, there is hope. But also, for people going through life and going through any struggle, going through any hardship, uh, maybe you lost your job, maybe your business failed, uh, maybe you've lost a loved one, maybe your marriage fell apart. Looking at these stories of people who have suffered tremendous injustice, who have spent 23 years in prison for a completely nonviolent crime, looking at stories like Terry Anderson's, how can you not look at this story? How can you not look at everything she's been through and where she is today, maintaining a positive attitude and not lift yourself up, dust yourself off, and be a positive individual? Be ready to turn your life around, flick a switch, and start tomorrow. You know, my father always used to say when I was a kid, whenever I'd make a mistake, whenever I'd screw up, that he'll say, you know what, John? Tomorrow is the first day of the rest of your life. So no matter where you are today, if it's legal problems, if it's just relationship problems or job problems, no matter where you are right now today listening to this podcast, by tomorrow, by the time you wake up tomorrow, you can have a new lease on life. You can have a new attitude tomorrow. It's all a mindset shift. Life is difficult. Life is complicated. But a lot of it is between the ears. And once you understand that, once you understand how to manage life between the ears, that, that, my friends, is when things get fun. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that little inspirational takeaway. And I just want to remind you, if you like this, or you like this show, you like our other two shows, if you like us as people, if you think we're cool, maybe you could kick us a couple bones at uh, patreon.com slash lines of liberty, get access to the bonus content. I just heard maybe my favorite piece of bonus content this past week. I wasn't on the show. It was my good friends, Mark Claire and Rico and, and JB. And there's a show that we have for our Patreon listeners, our, some bonus content. It's called Conspiracy Corner. And they were talking about Bigfoot. And let me tell you, it was it was some of the one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. And I don't say that lightly. It was so enjoyable and entertaining and just a relaxing conversation, good back and forth. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I sometimes I kind of question why do we keep these behind a paywall? Because they're I mean they're, it's good stuff. But if you want to hear that, you got to give us five bucks to get behind the paywall. So check that out, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. That's all I got for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. Burning.